The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. That's good to see you guys. This is so exciting for us. Um, I love the college retreat. Um, it's this every year I get so excited for this. And this year especially, I think because I, uh, I feel really like sober-minded as I think through what we're talking about. I mean, we're talking about fighting the good fight of faith. And this is really intimidating because I, I feel this so acutely that we are in a battle and that we are in a war. And I, I want to, with everything inside me, help you to understand this and help you be prepared for a battle, not that you're going to be in, not that you might fight, but a battle that you are in right now for your heart and for your soul. And what's really interesting for me is that as we, as we talk through this, and even as I prepare for it, we're going um, to be in sec, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. And this is going to be a really familiar passage to most of you. And the, and I'm gonna, the way that I'm addressing this is I'm going to treat you mostly as if you're believers, as if you're Christians. And if you're not a believer, then this is a, an invitation for you to follow Jesus. And, the, and what we're going to be talking about is we're talking about the fact that you're in a war and a battle. And, you're against, and that what's crazy about this battle that you're in is that this is the most unconventional warfare ever. Because you are fighting with ideas and thoughts and worldviews. And you can't see those. So, and the way that scripture talks about it is that you can be taken captive, like held captive against your will to a certain way of thinking that is contrary to the gospel. And what makes it even worse is that a lot of the people who are wielding these weapons against you are the people who are supposed to be taking care of you. They're the people who are supposed to be providing spiritual leadership. And there, it's so easy to give in and to just start thinking the same thoughts that the culture thinks. And pretty soon, you find out that you are believing things that are opposed to the truth of Christianity. But it's such an easy slide in there. And that not only, and this is, so this is my, oh, my name's Zach, by the way. Hello, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you all. Um, I work here at Snowbird Outfitters. Um, I've worked here for a really long time. In fact, this summer will be my 22nd summer working at camp. Um, which is really weird because... When I started at camp, my first, the first week of camp, I turned 21, and this summer I'll turn 42, 
which means after the first week of camp this summer, I will have worked at camp longer than I haven't. (laughs) I feel so old right now. I feel so old that, that I am older than some of your parents, which shouldn't happen at a college retreat. Isn't that, I mean, that's just weird. Sure, if we were doing like, an, if I was teaching third grade, I actually have one of those. Um, anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, I've worked here for a really long time. And it's so heartbreaking to see people who've worked here on staff with us who were passionate about the gospel, who shared the gospel with people, who pointed people to Jesus and away from, like, the popular culture. And now they've bought into it, and they're living lives contrary to the gospel. And so I'm so so sympathetic towards that because people that I've loved and worked alongside and who no longer believe the truth of Christianity... And tomorrow morning, actually, we're going to, uh, tomorrow morning, we're going to have a worship service at 9.30, and then at 10.30, we're going to have a, like, a breakout session. We're going to be talking about the necessity of truth. And so keep that, keep that in the back of your mind, because a lot of the things that we're talking about tonight are about the fact that Christianity is true. And then tomorrow, we're going to talk about specifically, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna nerd out completely tomorrow, talking about truth. So, yay, look forward to it. Um, And here's what's crazy is that Christianity and the gospel are in complete contradiction to the narrative that our culture is trying to tell you. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to actually try to identify some of those things so you don't yourself become captive to these things. In fact, my fear for some of you is that you're already being influenced by worldviews and ways of thinking that are contrary to the gospel, that have raised themselves up against the knowledge of God. And so be on your guard, right? It's, uh, do you guys ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? I, I love it. I love The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You should read it. It's great. And the, there's a part where uh, there's, if you haven't, I'm going to spoil some of it for you. So then don't read it, you know, if you don't want it to be spoiled. But there's one of the brothers. It's about these two brothers and two sisters who go into another world. And in that world, there's Aslan, who is, you know, is like the Jesus character. And then there's the witch, which obviously, witches are bad people, except for Glinda, but that's just confusing anyway. And, uh, and there's a part where because of what he's saying and how he looks, there's some of the other people. I say people loosely they're beavers and uh and they can tell that Edmund is already almost halfway on the side of the witch and that's how I think about it I think that for some of us we're sliding in kind of already halfway on the side of the witch and it's tough because you got to stay on your guard you've got to have your head on a swivel because you are you've been plopped in the middle of a war you understand that? And it's a war for your soul. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, man, this sounds like kind of unspiritual. You're like, or not, not unspiritual, like super spiritual and unacademic, like crazy. You're telling me there are forces that I can't see that are trying to take my soul? Yes. That's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. And I know that, man, one of the pressures, especially for y'all, 
in the college, in, in this college age season that most of y'all are in, there is a desire to be respected. There's a desire to be looked at with admiration, even on the academic level. And so you think about the academy, right? And to talk about spiritual things in the academy kind of makes you feel a little insecure. Have you guys ever felt that way? Because for me, this is a big deal. For me, and just to be like complete honesty, about, and I talked about this last year, about once a month, I have like a mini crisis of faith where I think, is this even real? And I've got to talk myself. I've got to, literally, I talk to myself in a mirror. Am I crazy? I might be. I've got to, I I do. I've got to talk myself off the ledge figuratively for abandoning Christianity because I think, man, I, I want to be an academic, but I also want to be a Christian. And what we need to understand is that Christianity is true. And if it's true, then you're not crazy to believe it. So let me read this passage of scripture. And then we're going to, then we're going to talk some about it. And then we're going to walk through it. And then we're going to talk about these specific, um, what I think are strongholds that are trying to take us captive. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3 says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. All right. This is where we're going to spend our time for the next 20 minutes or so. We're in a war. But this war is not physical. It's not fleshly. That's why I'm saying it's the most unconventional war ever. We've got enemies that you can't see that want to take you captive, that not just want to take you captive physically, but want to take you cap- captive in the way that you think, and they want your eternal soul. Now, if you start to think, man, that seems pretty crazy. Let's think about it. I think this is a good time to pause and think through the fact that in the history of, that's right, science, that the scientific, like, revolution took place by Christians who believed that the more that they could could understand nature, the more they could understand about God. And so before we, we, in our minds, before we even try to write this off and say, man, this is talking about these spiritual things, this, these enemies that I can't see, but, but that sounds unintelligent. Let's just stop and pause and look at some things that we know from natural theology. And what, I mean, what I mean by natural theology is when we look at the world that exists, this world, there are things that we know about this world and about how this world came to be. And what's crazy is that the deeper you dive into natural theology, the more you realize that the natural world cannot answer the questions that need to be answered. What I mean by that is when we look at this world that exists, both scientists and philosophers will tell us that this universe that we live in, the material world, had a beginning. All right? Unless you're like Hindu, Unless that, everybody believes the universe had a beginning. We've talked about that's why. In fact, you know the uh, the Big Bang theory was originally 
put out by a priest because he believed in the beginning of the universe and that was contrary to what modern science thought at the time because they thought maybe the universe could be eternal but instead it can't be eternal because it, it had to have a beginning both mathematically and philosophically there has to have, be a beginning. So let's think about it. If the world had a beginning, right, then it had to have a cause, People talk about these are just like a family of apologetic arguments called the cosmological arguments. We can talk more about that later if you want. But if the universe had a beginning, it had to have a cause, right? Does that make sense? Every, things that begin have a cause. So if the universe had a cause, let's think about this. That cause actually had to be a being, okay? Now, why do I say that? Well, because it's beings that do things. Responsible agents do things. Things that's just, this is going to sound a little confusing. Things don't do things on their own, right? It's agents, responsible agents that do things. So there has to be a responsible agent that, that started the universe. So and it, that responsible agent can't be material. And I'm getting super nerdy here. But the reason why this is so helpful for me, these are the kind of things that I talk myself through so that I can realize, oh, wow, yeah, there's got to be a spiritual world because the physical world can't create itself. So there has to be a being who created and that being can't be material. Do you follow me? Do you, does that make sense? It has to be an immaterial being that created the material world. Otherwise, it would be subject to the same questions that we ask like, oh, yeah, well, where did, where did he come from, right? Because he's always been, which means that we have a being that is immaterial, that created, and that being has to be extremely powerful, and not just extremely powerful, but extremely intelligent and creative. Now, does that say, see, Christianity is true? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that there's an all-powerful, intelligent being that created the universe that's immaterial and eternal, which means another word for that is transcendent. So there is a transcendent, immaterial being that created the world that is very powerful and very intelligent that doesn't say, oh, that's exactly Christianity. But what it does is it raises the explanatory value of Christianity. Does that make sense? I just went on a super nerd cycle there for a minute. Why is that important? The reason that's important is because you need to understand that it is not anti-intellectual to believe that there are spiritual powers at work. Do you see what I'm saying? And for, you, for someone to be like, oh, that's, that's crazy stuff. An immaterial God, and you can go, yeah. So what's your answer? That the world created itself? Oh, cool. Like you created yourself? Or were there people there before you? Oh, something, someone else created you. Yeah, all the way back. Right? This is a big deal. So this is important for me to help me realize, okay, Christianity has valid answers. It's okay to be thinking about these immaterial, this immaterial warfare that's going on if there is an immaterial God that created us all. All right, so as we work through this, right, we think about this. He talks about their weapons, right? He says we are in this warfare, but we're not waging this warfare physically because our weapons aren't physical, now, it's a little ambiguous about what he's talking about in our weapons here, but if you look back in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about these, these weapons. He says, um, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. What, we're, what we realize here is that we have weapons of righteousness that, in, that involve truthful speech and the power of God. How exciting is that? truthful speech 
and the power of God. We see the word of truth over and over in Scripture that we need to understand that Christianity, it's not anti-intellectual because it's true. And we see in Scripture, right? Ephesians 1.13 talks about the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Colossians 1.5, the word of truth, the gospel. 2 Timothy 2.15, rightly handling the word of truth. James 1.18 of his own will, he brought us forth by this word of truth. So we have the word of God, and it's the word of God that is truth that actually gives real freedom. So if someone is in captivity, what do they need? They need the truth to give them freedom. And what we need to understand is we have that, and we have this in the in scriptures, right? We have God's word that we have, that this all-powerful all creator God who created us also spoke to us through his word, and we have that. This is a powerful, powerful weapon because it's true. It's the word of truth. Now, we need to not forget that we're in enemy territory, right? I mean, what what happened to Jesus? Jesus was crucified by the religious establishment, I mean, he was, they, we had complicity on the religious establishment and in the governing authorities that put Jesus to death. And what did Jesus tell us? If you're going to follow me, expect to suffer. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. But what's so crazy for us is that we feel so empty unless we have the approval of men. Have you felt that? Okay, but time out. Jesus told us right? Jesus told us, if you're going to follow me, they're going to hate you. I mean, we are in this enemy-controlled territory. You're going to be attacked. If you are going to follow Christianity, you will be attacked, and you got to be ready for that because you're in this battle. Like I said, head on a swivel. You don't know where the attack is coming from, and you've got to be prepared. Look at what he says earlier on in 2 Corinthians. In chapter 4, he says this, Therefore, listen, this is so good. I'm, because we have the truth, you do not need to be ashamed of it. We don't need to try to figure out ways that we can trick somebody into, into being a Christian. It's not like that. We need to clearly articulate the truth that God has revealed to us. Look in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Look, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone in the conscience inside of to everyone's conscience inside of God. You see that? We don't trick, we don't play tricks with the Bible. We don't try to make it say what we want to say. We clearly articulate what the Bible says. Right? And then he says this in verse four. He's talking about, oh, and verse three, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, look at this, for non-believers, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see that? I mean, it seems like there's a conflict in this world, right? And that you're going against this culture? Yeah, because their eyes have been blinded and they can't see the truth. So what does that mean? We need to represent this truth to them. Do we try to trick them? Do we try to make it seem like an easy gospel? Here, no, 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 come here. This is going to be good. This is happy. No, we can't do that. Because then eventually we have to show them the righteousness of God. We have to show them the truth. I mean, that's unfortunately 
the people are sinning and we have the truth and we need to let them know that what they're doing is killing themselves. We'll talk more about this in the morning. I don't want to get ahead of myself. It says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. That's awesome. For the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us a light of the knowledge of glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is a big deal. I don't want to say, I I don't want to be like hyperbolic and say, you guys live in the most difficult time in history because that's just not true. But you know what? You live in the only time in history where you can act, right? This is your time. And we need to be faithful to where, what we've been called to right now. And what's really crazy is right now, most of the opposition that you're going to get is from people's opinions and from people's words. And I don't want to negate that. I, the, the cancel culture is real, right? I mean, we've seen it. Hey, you, could, you could get canceled. And you know what? The truth is worth it. And to be honest, for a lot of you, this is a timeout. This is, has nothing really to do with what we're talking about. For a lot of you, you need to understand if you're going to live your life, like really you're living your life on social media, that's where you draw your identity, then your identity is very thin and could get taken away in a second. And if you're going to stand up for the truth of the gospel, it's going to crush you when you get canceled. So just take that with you. Use it for whatever you want. But realize this that there are many things that, we're gonna t- that, that are these strongholds that are sneaking into Christianity. They're making, trying to make it seem like, oh, I can believe this and I can believe in Christianity. They look good. They look good. A lot of what we're doing is we're actually battling for definitions because we're all like, well, let's fight for love. Well, that sounds great. Should we fight for love? Yeah, love's good. But how are you defining that? Right, and you need to understand, again, we're living in an enemy-controlled environment. Right? Look at what he says. This is also in 2 Corinthians. Most of what I'm talking about comes out of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. He's talking about people in the church who are preaching false gospels. He says, but such men are false apostles, deceitful working, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. That's scary. So you need to be on your guard even more so because some of these people who are spitting lies to you, who are just regurgitating the garbage that this culture is giving them, like they're, they're giving that to you in the name of Jesus. It says they are deceitful workmen. It says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Whoa. Watch out. Beware. Right? I mean, it's so discouraging because it seems like every week or two, you find another Christian leader who has deconstructed from the faith, right? They've uh, deconverted. And, they, and then and it, I get so frustrated because it's not like they will say, well, I don't, just be- I don't believe this anymore, and that's fine. You can believe it. They then attack it. And they're like, I don't believe this more anymore because it's stupid and silly. It's false. It's evil, and you shouldn't believe it either. I think, come on, man. And what's so sad, and what's so sad is that for many of these people, they've, they've been deceived and then they become deceivers. And you need to be on your guard. You need to watch out, be careful. So let's, as we move on, what we're going to do is we're going to dive, we're going to dive deep into the text. That was the introduction. I said 20 minutes. It's probably only been like three since then, right? 
So let's look, we're going to walk through this text. Um, what we have here, so verse 3, right? Uh, for, it says this, for we walk in flesh, in, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. There's one main verb in this whole section. These three verses, there's one main verb, all right? I'm, I'm super nerdy when it comes to this, and I diagram sentences all the time. I know, I, I've got a problem, but I like it. It's weird. I'm, anyway, so there's one main verb, and so we're walking according to the, I mean, we're, we're waging war. And it says, although we walk in the flesh, this is concessive, right? It says, of course, we're walking in the flesh. How else can you walk? Like he means you're walking in the flesh, meaning you're material, right? You feel that you're walking in the flesh, but your warfare that you're waging is not fleshly. All right. So he's making, he's making this distinction here between, between, I don't know if that's a word, um, between, there we go, the flesh that we're walking in. So play on words. We're walking in the flesh, but our warfare is not in the flesh, right? This is a spiritual battle. In fact, he's going to talk about it. These are ideas. These are thoughts. This is what we're, this is what we're fighting against. And we need to understand that for the non-believer, even their way of thinking is corrupted. Like what we just read in 2 Corinthians 4, right? They've been, their, their minds have been blinded. So think about it this way. For the believer and non-believer, they, their brains work in two different operating systems. You know what I mean? It's like the difference between like a, a Mac and a PC or iOS and Android. Dro- Droid? People still use us? Welcome to the new millennium. Anyway... It's different. It's a different operating system that there's no crossover, right? We have common ground because we're walking and living in the same world. We're living in the flesh, but our lives are lived differently. The scripture says if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. In fact, what theologians will talk about is they'll talk about for the non-believer because we're born into sin originally, even the way that we think has been corrupted. They'll talk about the noetic. It's just from a word that means mind. The noetic effects of sin. Their, their thinking is messed up, right? Until they have the light of the gospel to, sh- to change their lives, to make them new. And so we need to understand that, right? So we're walking in the flesh, but our warfare is on the flesh. And then he says, um, he grounds it. Where is that? Oh, yeah. He grounds it in the fact that our weapons aren't fleshly. And so, I mean, even for us to realize, and this sounds maybe a little cheesy, but you need to realize that Scripture says that you are waging a war, right? Like, you're a soldier in a battle, whether you like it or not. Because when someone is trying to attack you and destroy your soul, you're in a battle. So you need to think of yourself as a soldier, and I, I think for two reasons. You want to think of yourself as a soldier, one, so that you can stay focused, right? Um, earlier on in the, in the book that Rob just read out of, in 2 second, in second Timothy 2, Paul tells us this. He says, you need to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And I think for a lot of us, we're not focused on what we've been called to. We're not focused on eternal things because we're so engrossed in civilian pursuits. Man, that's convicting. That's really convicting. That's not what we're called to. And then I think uh, another reason why we need to see ourselves as soldiers is so that we can stay on our guard for our sanctification. In First Peter uh, chapter 2, he says, um, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh which wage war against your soul. 
right? So when we talk about how the battle that we're in is immaterial, that's not like, that's not diminishing at all. We're talking about eternal souls that hang in the balance, including our own. So then we move on. And that just as a, just to pause for just a second, like this sounds really discouraging. I realize that. I'm telling you that you're in a battle. You need to watch out because there is an enemy who's trying to destroy you. But f- so that we can take a breath and be encouraged for a minute, we need to realize that the truth is on our side and that we're holding the truth. And Jesus himself, remember Jesus, who was God who became a man, he gave himself up for our sins and for our salvation. And even before, like, he was crucified, right? He told us that this was going to happen to us. Look at what Jesus says. He says, this is in John 16, right before, this is the irony, right before he gets handed over and, cru- and crucified. He says, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you, do you remember when Jesus said this? This is the same time like he's sweating drops of blood because of the pressure that he's on, knowing that he's about to experience the wrath of God. Someone who is about to experience the wrath of God says, be encouraged to us. And says, why? Because I have overcome the world. Wow. Wow. So yes, be encouraged. We move on in chapter, I mean, in verse five, right? Did we read verse four? Yes. Did I write verse five twice? Are you guys looking at my notes? Oh yeah. He, verse four, for the weapons of warfare aren't spiritual, but have the power of God. Okay. Then verse five, he says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought I mean, take every thought captive to obey Christ. So what's happening here, grammatically, just so you're following along, we've had this main verb, we're waging war, right? We're waging war, although we walk in the flesh, we're waging war in the spirit. Why? Because our weapons are spiritual. You see that? We have spiritual weapons, so we're waging war, spiritual, spiritual battle. And he says that we have these, these weapons, which is amazing, says they're not fleshly, they, but they have the power of God to destroy strongholds. And then underneath the little prepositional phrase, you got it, he says what we do. And that is, two, there's two things. And in destroying these strongholds, there's two things that we do. One, we, do, we tear down. We are tearing down everything, like these thoughts and these opinions that are raising themselves up against the knowledge of Christ. See the play on words? They've raised themselves up against the knowledge of God. And what do we do? We are tearing them down. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Right? These are these two things. And, and what Paul is doing, if you read the beginning of this chapter, he's defending what they're doing. He's saying, this is what we're doing. And implicit in that is that that's what we should be doing. Because we are in the same battle that the Apostle Paul was in. And we're fighting the same type of things. It's going to change culturally. right? These strongholds are going to change culturally, but we're still fighting. We're still fighting with the word of truth and the power of God to tear these things down. So let's look. This is what we should be doing. So what I want to do real quick is I want to go through five things. 
And the reason I want to address these five things is because I think that this is where our battle is being fought right now because these are false narratives that are setting themselves up against the knowledge of Christ. The first one has to do with creation, right? We all, everyone is fighting for the, the created world, the natural world, but we've set up a false narrative, which is evolution. And the, the more I read on this, I can't for the life of me understand why any Christian who believes the authority of Scripture would endorse any type of evolution. I'll tell you why. The reason why is this. One is that, well, one, I just believe that if when you read talking about theistic evolution, it's, just, it's not good theology and it's not good science. It's just not. And so w- when we're reading in Scripture, when we read in the beginning of Genesis, now, because the idea here is that people will say, oh, you know what, maybe it's a genre issue. Right, maybe the beginning of Genesis, it, maybe it's just poetic, and it's just trying to say these are just ideas. Well, all we know is that God created. It doesn't talk about how He created. One, in a lot of ways, it doesn't talk about how He created. I get that, but it's not just a question about genre because so much of the the rest of the Bible d- goes back to it. So much of the rest of the Bible depends on it. And if we accept an evolutionary understanding of the world, then human beings lose their value. Do you understand that? Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? If we, if we accept an evolutionary understanding of human beings, then they do not have their value. We believe, as Christians, according to the first couple of chapters of Genesis, we believe that human beings have inherent w- worth, inherent value, because they're image bearers of God. They're a special creation of God in his image. If we remove that, if we take God out of the picture and make it a process, then, then all you are is just a byproduct of evolution, which means you have as much value as any other byproduct of evolution. And I'm telling you, I believe that this is setting itself up against the knowledge of God. And it's not biblical, right? What's the clearest reading of Scripture? Well, that God created. That he God created. In fact, I mean, it goes into enough detail, like trees that are bearing seeds after their kind, animals that are having offspring after their kind. I mean, that seems to negate the process of evolution. But even more so, right? Is God intentionally trying to, dis- to mislead us until like the 1800s when somebody puts this together? And not only that, but what about the rest of the Bible? You guys know that all of the other biblical authors, that when they refer to creation, they refer to it as an event and not a process. And when I say all of the other, new te- uh, all of the other biblical writers, I mean also Jesus, you guys realize that Jesus looked back and he, when he's talking about the creation, he, he quotes from Genesis 1 and 2 and he uses the words, are you ready for this? The beginning of creation. He's not saying millions and billions of years. He's saying the beginning of creation. That's a big deal. That's what Jesus believed. That's what Paul believed. That's even what Moses believed because when Moses wrote Exodus, which you know he also wrote the first couple chapters of Genesis, he refers back to it and says, just as God created in six days and rested, so you too should work for six days and rest. And for me, this isn't a question of science because you guys know that science is changing and there are, I mean, science is a moving target always. But there is enough scientific to to back up to back up creation to the the intelligent design movement is ginormous and it's not just filled with christians but with non-believers as well who when they're looking at the world that we that we live in say this couldn't have happened random events plus time plus chance and for me it's not so much a question of science but a question of biblical authority because this is what the bible says this is what Moses, who wrote it, also agreed with. This is what Paul, who wrote a third of the New Testament, also said. And it's what Jesus agreed with. 
That's a big deal. All right, moving on. Oh, and also, I'll say this too, also, Romans 5. Romans 5 lays out, an, uh, lays out uh, the gospel and only works if Adam is the biological head of everybody. That's it. You, and that's where I feel like if we take this to the extreme, we hold to evolutionary theory, what it does is we lose the gospel. It's setting itself up against the knowledge of God. The next thing is I want to talk about justice and equality. I, we, uh, we, could take, we could take hours and talk about all this, but what I want you to understand is as Christians, we actually have a foundation for justice and equality when the non-believing world does not. Now, it's, this, is, this is what we're here. I mean, it, this drum is banging all day, every day, Right? And as Christians, now Christians have, and we need to understand this, Christians haven't always lived out the, clu- the clear teaching of Scripture. That's where, we need to, that's where we need to own that. We need to say, you know what? Christians have been wrong in a lot of ways. Christians have been l- wrong in huge ways. Christians have not represented Scripture well. We need to realize that, and we need to recognize the truth and move on, live with it. So when we think about this, with, when we're talking about justice and equality, Christianity has, a, has an answer for why human beings need to tre- be treated justly and with equality. Do you know why? It's because we believe that all human beings are image bearers of God. We believe that every human being has eternal value and was created for a relationship with the creator of the universe. That's huge. That's a big deal. We, we think about, um, we, and we need to make sure when we talk about equality, see, when people are using the word equality, what, what I mean by that is that all human beings have equal value as image bearers of God. But what our culture will say is, well, equality means that everybody needs to get everything. It doesn't matter who you are, where your background is, where you're from, how hard you work, what type of education you are. You all need to, everybody needs to get the same thing. That's talking about equality of outcome. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about equality of being. That every human being is ingrained with the image of God. the The imago dei. That all of us, not just that you have value, but you have an eternal value. You have an eternal value and you were purchased by the blood of Jesus. That's what in first Peter, he says that we talks about how you were purchased, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's amazing. I'm not, it's not that, you know, we talk about that people are so easy to jump on the black lives matter movement as if they're saying something that is really valuable but we need to understand first as a believer, that movement is rooted in a narrative that is contrary to the gospel. And we as believers, we don't just say that black lives matter. We say that black lives have eternal value. Eternal. This is a big deal. Right? So we can't just jump on whatever the culture is trying to say at the moment if we're going to abandon what it means biblically to be a human being created in the image of God. We talk about justice, same thing. We, we, we want justice. Christianity knows about justice, and it's found in the gospel. And when we talk about, if, if, if it's so easy, it's so easy to jump on this bandwagon, they want to make sure that everybody has, they're well clothed, that they're well fed, they've got clean water, and that's great. But be careful that you don't, Spend your life advocating for people to be well-fed with clean water and well-dressed and spend eternity in hell. But they, 
went there, well-fed, great. That's not what justice is about. The oppression is the oppression of sin that has been alleviated by the price paid for our sins on the cross. That's what justice is. Two more things, and then we'll wrap up. Our culture is feeding you a lie and saying that it's love, right? One of the popular saying right now, right? Love is love. That is meaningless. The idea is that you can love who or whatever you want, but it's love. See, it's good because it's love. Well, no, I mean, you're, you're allowing people to destroy their souls in the name of accommodating for what they call love. And no one really believes it anyway. If I said that, what, that for me, loving was, you know, murdering small children, you would say, oh, but that's not love. Okay, but you can't, you can't say that because love is love. Yeah, I know. Everyone's opposing some sort of standard. The, the question is, what's the standard? All right, so again, for us, image bearers of God. And that moves into, right, gender and sexuality. Because what our, our culture is saying, gender is fluid. You can be whoever and whatever you want, and you can love whoever and whatever you want. Christianity can't do that. Because you cannot reject the creation and embrace the creator. Do you understand that? We understand from scripture that God created male and female in his image after his likeness. We know that. That's what scripture says. In fact, gender and sexuality inherent in themselves are preaching a sermon that is giving glory to God as the creator in the Trinity and is pointing towards marriage and the gospel. When you take those component parts and you flip them around and say that they're doing something else, you're destroying that. You're destroying the sermon that God has created to be lived out. It's, it's huge, guys. We, have, we, cannot, we cannot say, yes, I'm trusting God. I'm a Christian. I want to fight for that. And then take these things, these narratives that the, that the world is telling us and say, and I'm embracing that too. No, you're setting yourself up against the knowledge of God. So what does this mean for us? What this means for us is that we need We need personally to guard our hearts and our minds and our souls. It's like when you're on the airplane and the, they give you, you watch the video about when the air comes down, right? What are you supposed to do first, right? You put it on first, then you can help other people. And my fear for a lot of us is that we're already halfway on the witch's side and we need that oxygen now. You need to put this on. You need to think critically. Always be asking the question why. If you're saying this is, uh, this, our culture is saying this, ask why, ask why, ask why. And if at the bedrock foundation that you don't get to scripture, then it's against the knowledge of God. So we need first to, to guard our hearts and our minds so that we don't get led astray. I mean, think about this. We tear down these strongholds. And that word stronghold is a little confusing. It's only used one time in the New Testament. It can either mean a, like, a, like a, a castle that you're fighting from or it could be a prison that's holding you tight. And what we need to understand is that for many of our friends, they are held captive and they need to have that prison torn down and we need to help them take that captive into obedience to Christ. That's what this passage of scripture is telling us. 
what, we're under, what we need to understand is that at the end of the day, the gospel really is the answer. The gospel really does set free. We need to be honest with the gospel. That's why in Romans 1 he says that I'm not ashamed of the, go- the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And you need to understand the day, today that the gospel is still the power of God. You are in a battle that is... That for eternal souls, and you play a part in that. And you need to understand that you have the weapons, the word of truth, and you have the power of God. And that's what we need first to apply to our own minds and to our own hearts to keep us tethered to scripture and then to use that for our friends and family and loved ones who themselves are being held captive and that needs to be torn down with the truth and taken captive for the gospel. So we need, to, we, need to, we need to think about where we're at. We need to get, our, get ourselves untwisted so that we can help others and not, never be ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to read a song to close that was written in 1529 by Martin Luther. And then we're going to sing to the Lord. A mighty fortress is our God a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not as equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, which means the Lord of hosts, of armies, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled, filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. The word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours, through him who with us sideth, let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Understand this. You are in a battle for your soul. The world is filled with a narrative that is contrary to the gospel. And be ready to be attacked. Be ready to be canceled, to be faithful to the gospel. Let me pray for us.